Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. The reason this is my favorite time of the year, Harry, is because it's not just Christmas Day. It's not just Christmas Eve that people have time to spend with their families. It's the subsequent days after and before where most people take time off because their companies are closed. As I said, today is the Christmas Day observed holiday in the United States. So if you know what's good for you, you'll be sitting on the couch watching sports all day. And I'm sure many of you did that yesterday. So Tell us your biggest takeaway from the NFL and NBA Christmas Day slate or anything from NFL Week 16 action. Let's go out to Don in Dallas. Don, tell me about the Cowboys and what you learned in Week 16. Uh, thanks, Courtney. Yeah, guys, uh, have a happy holidays. Um, I, if I could, I would like to change the way I was going to do this to uh, Harry's observations. I got two more observations. I realize Dak Prescott right now is nothing but Danny White. You win a bunch of games. You may win one Super Bowl in 11 years. And to my friend, Rose Sims, the Broncos need to put a donkey on their helmets because Russell is playing like a jack. You know what? <laughs> Thanks for the call, Don. Appreciate it. So let's go to his, let's go to his first part, Harry, about... Danny White like Dak. Do you believe that? Like, and would that be such a bad thing if they do win one Super Bowl? Because last I checked, it's been over 20 years since Dallas was able to do that in the mid-1990s. Wouldn't they take any quarterback play? And I'm not equating Dak to where he's playing right now to, to Danny White, but I do feel like there have been some ups and down moments, which is why there's concern among some Dallas fans that this level is not sustainable, yep. especially with the picks. And now he has 12, uh, third, excuse me, 13 on the season because, or 12 on the season because he had 11 going in. 13 is his career high. He reached that in 2017. Where do you stand on that argument? Well, I'll say for the Dallas Cowboys to be successful, win a playoff game, push forward, make it to the NFC Championship game, win a Super Bowl, Dak Prescott is going to have to be phenomenal. Like we seen him in that game against the Philadelphia Eagles uh, just recently, minus the pick six to Josh Sweat. He put that team on his back in a lot of situations that people watching the football games don't really think about. Uh, it was two third and fives. After the pick six, Dak did a hell of a job of utilizing his legs and picking up a first down on one of them. He was uh, basically, I thought he was about to be sacked because Maddox came on a blitz, uh, free blitzer and had him wrapped around his waist, but he still found a way to deliver a football to uh, Michael Gallup for a first down. And on that drive, they went down and scored a touchdown. But then you see on the third and 30, not giving up and making that play a third and six, getting the ball to T.Y. Hilton, uh, busting coverage from the Philadelphia Eagles defense. But he also utilized his legs, right? And I think we haven't seen Dak like that since before the main um, foot injury that we watched on national TV that that's, uh, uh, ended his season season a few years back so I think having that Dak Prescott being 100% now and being able to utilize his legs and I think Kellen Moore needs to incorporate the zone read even that much more especially when they get down to the tight red zone and in the red zone I think Dak is going to be okay he just has to understand that he can't turn 
Over. Now, that turnover that they had, that he had against the Philadelphia Eagles, that could have came back to haunt them if they didn't pick up those two third downs on the following drive and the Eagles go down and score. Or also, if you don't have Gardner Minshew turning the football over and the running backs turning the football over the way they did. But I did believe that Dak played one of his best games against the Philadelphia Eagles. It's just that for in order for the Dallas Cowboys to be successful, Dak Prescott at the quarterback position is going to have to be the one of the main reasons why they are competing for a championship if they make it that far. That throw that you mentioned he made on third and 30, that was a 52-yard pass to T.Y. Hilton. To me, those are the type of plays, the explosives, that we just don't often see from this offense because they, re- they can get that in a number of different ways, whether they want to rely on their running backs, whether they you know go a different route with their receivers. And by the end of the first half, C.D. Lamb had 100 receiving yards, so he was doing just fine there. Those are the plays, though, for turning point reasons and for you know being able to carry over from week to week, that's what I want to see from Dak Prescott going forward. Now, I might be in my own camp here where I don't think he's a liability and I don't think he would be the reason that a playoff run wouldn't last very long for the Dallas Cowboys. Frankly... I'm afraid that this team doesn't have a pass rush anymore because they didn't register a single quarterback hit on Gardner Minshew and they did not register a single sack. Now, of course, Micah Parsons at the end of the game in, in doing what he did to be able to put the team in the spot to force the fumble from Miles Sanders and then have that thing recovered and the game there. He was phenomenal in that sense. But when is this pass rush going to come alive? When are they going to be able to, you know, make uh, make a t- temporary residency in, in the backfield where they're constantly in the face of opposing quarterbacks? Like, when is that version of this defense going to come back? Because we've seen it. We've seen that group before. It just hasn't been here in the last couple of weeks. And that's what concerns me when you do get into the postseason in the month of January and you're facing really good teams who, like the Philadelphia Eagles, have great offensive lines. But But if you're giving a quarterback all day to throw, then you're going to be getting in shootouts like you did on Saturday night. Well, and I will say this, and you just mentioned it, Courtney, the Philadelphia Eagles, they have the best offensive line in the National Football League. Um, And they're going to do a great job protecting their quarterback. And we also got to remember now, if that was Jalen Hurts in that football game, he will be a guy that will... That would have been added to the run game. So we probably would have seen that run game be more efficient as well for the Philadelphia Eagles. But I think for Dan Quinn moving forward, he's going to have to figure out ways to, you know, create those mismatches. But then when you do get against a, you know, a team like the San Francisco 49ers, like the Philadelphia Eagles that are going to be competing for NFC championship potentially or moving on to the Super Bowl, you have to be dynamic because I think one of the things that hurt football team last year in the playoffs was the simple fact that they bank on turnovers and you're not going to just be able to create and get those turnovers week in and week out what if you're playing a football team that doesn't turn the football over and then you don't register any sacks that's probably going to be a football game that the Dallas Cowboys lose um as far as Dak I, I like I, I like Dak I don't think he's I just think he has to be more than average for this football team to play winning football. Uh, moving forward, I'm not even talking about regular season. I'm talking about playoffs now. He can't be average Dak Prescott because if the run game is negated, if the run game is stopped, in which you have a San Francisco 49ers, you have a Philadelphia Eagles team as well. I keep bringing up those two teams that can stop the run and can play hella uh, a, a damn good grade of defense. You're going to have to be able to rely on your quarterback being able to make plays. And Dak Prescott in this game against the Philadelphia Eagles 
recently just showed that. But that defensive side, Dan Quinn is going to have to figure out. And also, um, I, I think Trayvon Diggs is going to have to realize people are going to start double moving him more. They're going to start targeting him in a way, not just running regular routes and, and regular combinations, but double moving him and running, uh, pumping a lot of their the normal routes and, you know, to get him to bite on a lot of things. Because when you are aggressive like that, um, they're going to figure out ways to try to beat it. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, ESPN U. We're taking your calls on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Let's go down to Kirby in Mississippi. Kirby, you're on ESPN Radio. How you doing? Happy holidays to y'all. You too. What you got? Uh, about Russell Wilson situation, uh, I think they should give him another chance, you know, because they, they deal with a, that's a lot of damn money they got to deal with, you know. I know, and Kirby, that's the, that's the problem. Like, thanks so much for the call. Like, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck, Harry, between a rock and a hard place here of how much does this new ownership group, how much leash do they have to be able to pull off a catastrophic move like that? Because financially, it would be. And considering the fact <laughs> they don't have the draft capital, because they just sent it all to Seattle in the trade for Russell Wilson. They get, they get him here. They give him the massive extension, which had a $50 million signing bonus. I feel like the realistic option is that they're going to have to give him another year because of how expensive it would be to cut him, but it's not like he's earned it. I mean, you got to look, take a look at where he is statistically among all the quarterbacks. This guy only has 12 touchdowns this year. Nine interceptions. 12 to 9 touchdown to interception ratio yep. is a 2.9% touchdown to interception ratio. One of the worst among all quarterbacks in the NFL. Do we think a new coach coming in, and I don't know which coach would want this job, but do we think a new coach and maybe a new play caller? I know Nathaniel Hackett hasn't called plays for a while, but people that are in his headset, people who are helping construct a game plan around Russell Wilson, can somebody else do it better and bring back the old version of Russell Wilson? Or do we not think that that version exists anymore? Well, no, it's going to have to take somebody to do some deep diving and film study and soul searching about Russell Wilson, dating all the way back to when he first became the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks and see a lot of the things that he he does well. See, uh, you got also got to look at his deficiencies and um, the plays that he didn't make. You have to scout all these different things moving forward with Russell Wilson, because I do believe you have to give him one more year just because the money is just entirely too much. You just can't cut ties with that much money in have it sitting on the table. Now, after next year, if you have some of the same issues that you had this year with a new coach, a new play caller, then you might have to cut ties because uh, in back-to-back years, it's showing that things aren't going to get any better in Denver. But for Russell Wilson, man, I just think Oh, no, you got to be able to be relatable to your teammates. I'm, I'm, I'm huge on that. Being a locker room guy and playing in the NFL for 10 years court, I'm big on, you know, the relationships that you form with your teammates. Um, even when you're the star player, when you're the highest paid player, I think you got to have a lot of humility. You got to be humble. Not saying that Russ isn't humble, but I just think you got to move differently. And also, you got to tailor some things towards your teammates and their likings and some of the things that they like to do. So I think Russ moving forward is going to have to do that just to get on the good side with his own teammates. 
place in the locker room. Yeah, a lot of moving parts that are going to have to take place this offseason in Denver. The Broncos with four wins. They did not expect this part of the season to look like this, especially with how much money and resources they've dumped into this team for this year. This is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and ESPNU. Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas, and Harry in about a week has a new show coming your way right here on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, weekdays, Monday through Friday at noon to 3 p.m. All right, well, I'm not key, but since we called Harry's HD's observations, I get the same sort of respect, and we call mine CC's observations, because I don't think Keyshawn cares what my observations are. He's somewhere in Montecito right now, living up life, and Harry and I are working. So I will give you all of my observations in full form here on ESPN Radio, starting out with the Minnesota Vikings. I know they are the cardiac cats of the NFL. I'm still waiting on somebody to give me a better nickname than that because they're the Vikings, so please do that at Courtney R. Cronin is my handle. The Vikings defense, Harry, it still concerns me. And, I, and I'm sorry if it shouldn't because Daniel Jones just threw for 334 yards on this defense and an underpowered Giants offense rolled up for 444 yards on the Minnesota Vikings this past weekend. Now, like many of their previous games, this thing comes down to one play at the end that ends up deciding everything. And good for Greg Joseph. I'm glad that, that he was able to have that moment and kick that 61-yarder. The defense was able to force two turnovers turnovers too, which, you know, coming away with takeaways is something we haven't seen from this Vikings unit on a consistent basis. There was a special teams blocked punt as well. So all of those things are good. I still have some questions, though, as it pertains to the Vikings defense as a whole and what that's going to look like once they get into the postseason. Number two. Number two, Tua. What the heck happened to him in the second half of the game? I mean, it's just, it's so... It's so tough right now because, you know, the two and non, all of the people out there that just want to support Tua Tagovailoa blindly do not seem to understand that he needs to shoulder most of the blame for this loss. And that's what happens when you throw three interceptions Another in the fourth quarter. When you have a chance to win this game, you get the ball back just over two minutes, and he throws one of the most bizarre interceptions. I remember saying, he's going to throw a pick here. You know what he does? He went and threw a pick there. So I don't know what Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel is going to say he called the performance uncharacteristic I feel like one of these was bound to happen with Tua in spite of the goodwill that this group has built up the last couple weeks particularly coming off of that loss in Buffalo where they played them pretty close Number three. Number three. All of a sudden, I need to care about the NFC South because it might actually be interesting to see who ends up winning the four seed in the NFC playoffs. You can see it right there on the picture. The Bucks seven and eight. They won in an overtime game last night against the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get into that a little bit later here on ESPN Radio. But the Panthers coming off their big win over the Detroit Lions, six and nine. The Saints also beat the Cleveland. Uh, the Cleveland Browns on Saturday, six and nine for them as well. So Bucks and Panthers play each other again in week 17. And I know that Tampa Bay beat Panthers, the Panthers the first time around. This one to me, though, not necessarily an easy one to pick because I think the Panthers are surging at the right time. They can run the ball very well. Sam Darnold looks like a good version of Sam Darnold. And honestly, with the coaching job that Steve Wilkes has done this year, he should absolutely be in consideration for that 
that job on a full-time basis, especially if they're able to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and take over that spot for the NFC South and work their way into the postseason here down the stretch because they've got two divisional games to do it. Number four. Chicago Bears are getting the number one overall pick in the draft for 2023. You heard it here first, and the reason for that, the Houston Texans, the fighting Lovey Smith, those players have played really, really hard for him in most of the games this season, 12 of their 15. I think that you can really take a look at how much that group has rallied around their first-year head coach. And they win this past weekend, 19-14 over the Tennessee Titans. That is their second win of the season, So they, and that comes after playing Kansas City tough, an overtime game, and then playing the Dallas Cowboys tough two weeks ago. Now, the way that this would work, because the Houston Texans right now have a tie on their list. Right now, they're 2-12-1. If they end up winning one of their two last games, they'd have the same win-loss record as the Chicago Bears currently do. That would be three. Now, the Bears have three wins, and the Bears also have the Detroit Lions on the road and the Minnesota Vikings, the top team in the NFC North, coming to Chicago for the final week of the season. So, how do I see this playing out, Harry Douglas? I see the Detroit Lions beating the Minnesota and the Minnesota Vikings beating the Chicago Bears. The Bears end the season with three wins that they currently have. What happens for the Houston Texans? I don't believe that they beat Jacksonville this coming week. I do believe that they have a chance to beat the Indians. Indianapolis Colts in week 18. So if that happens, they have the higher win percentage. They switch spots in the draft order with the Chicago Bears. The Bears catapult up to the number one pick in the draft, and you can do a lot with that. That is important draft capital to have. My last observation. Number five. What the hell is Mac Jones doing on this play? Please tell me we have video of it in the game from the Cincinnati Bengals game <laughs> this past weekend. I don't know. Like, he should be fine for this sort of dirty block that he lays down right here. Like, you know, all week long we were saying, oh, why would you ask Mac Jones to tackle on the lateral play where Chandler Jones is staring him down and bulldozes right through him, and then Mac Jones trying to be a hero. I don't even know if I'd call it that. Whatever that one was, was, was dirty. That's a dirty play, and every week we come <laughs> way asking ourselves like what the heck is Mac Jones doing in certain situations that one rises to the top for me so that is my fifth observation from week 16 yeah Court I'm gonna I'm start with your fifth one and Mac Jones and, and the NFL has taken this play out of the game you know so I don't even know what Mac Jones is thinking the, uh, the defenders about to score a touchdown he's behind the ball coaches always teach you not to block behind the ball but his team doesn't even have the ball so why is he even going low on an opponent at that juncture in the game when the touchdown is about to be scored so you know Mike Mac Jones has come up a lot uh, entirely this year and you know he made the Pro Bowl la- last year by the lack of you know other quarterbacks not to decided not to go but he hasn't been the, the best quarterback for the New England Patriots he, you know you had a different quarterback playing at one point he, he got benched or whatnot and you see him you know verbally saying things on the sideline and curse words is a family show so I keep it to myself but we all seen the clip of Mac Jones yelling um, about how the offense sucks or the play calling sucks or it's whatnot twice now. and then you've seen the lack of tackle that he had last week Exactly. You've seen the lack of tackle that he had last week against Chandler Jones and him going in the end zone and scoring a touchdown. So I definitely think he deserves to be fine. I don't know what Mac Jones is thinking there. But I want to go back to the Minnesota Vikings and their defense. 
Minnesota Vikings and their defense have been non-existent this year, but for some odd and apparent reason, they have found ways to win football games. And then at the right moments in certain football games, the defense have come up with turnovers and big plays when they actually have needed it. As far as pass defense, though, it's actually the worst in the National Football League, um, allowing 285 and uh, uh, 281 yards per game. Now, the reason why this defense a thing for me is, is, is it's not going to be winning football in the playoffs because you look at two teams who are, are going to be in the playoffs, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, or, or two teams at the Minnesota Vikings, actually lost to very convincingly. They lost to the Eagles early in the year, 24-7 on primetime on national TV. They lost to the Dallas Cowboys, 40-3. So if you think you're just going to, you know, outscore these two teams and you don't have to play defense, you're in for a rude awakening. Also, there's another team in the NFC as well called the San Francisco 49ers that play great defense. And you're going to have to be able to score points uh, on that defense and stop them from scoring in their run game. So I, I don't think that's going to be able to happen to a situation. I just hope his confidence isn't shot because three, three interceptions in the fourth quarter and the reason why your team lost that game uh, to the Green Bay Packers and actually gave them CPR and gave them life and their play, playoff chances hope um, is sad. But Tua, you know, First of all, I, I will say this. I, I, I didn't think Tua should have been playing anyway, though, the rest of the year. After he had that After the concussion, you, concussion you would have been okay having um, him bench the rest of the year. The, the rest of the season. Right. So what he's been able to do, though, for this football team has been phenomenal. He just happened to run into, you know, uh, the number one defense in the National Football League in the San Francisco 49ers. He had some, some miscues yesterday in the fourth quarter that cost his team. He didn't make the plays that he needed to make against the Los Angeles Chargers. And now they're in a position. They're fighting for their lives. The NFC South. Wow, this is this is unbelievable. If you'd have told me before the season that this is how the NFC South would have played out with the teams all being bunched together with I think there's six and nine records. You got three teams with six and nine records in the Falcons um, right right uh, beneath those other three teams. I would have told you you was a lie. I would, I would have lost every dollar to my name. But you got to give a lot of credit to the Carolina Panthers and also Dennis Allen and the, the New Orleans Saints and. The, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're holding on by a shoestring right now, trying to make sure that they can win the division. But the off, their offense is, is so hard to watch to me that I don't understand why Byron Leftwich and why those guys would not go to no huddle more often because that seems to be the only time they're able to move the football effectively. Um, but that's a story for another day. And then last but not least, the Bears. I think there, are, there actually is a chance for the Chicago Bears to get the number one pick. You look at who the Houston Texans have left the Jackson, the Colts. I don't think they're going to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. I do believe they can beat the Colts. They already tied with the Colts the first game of the year. But uh, in Indianapolis, you don't have Matt Ryan as the quarterback anymore. The only thing is that the Colts do have a defense, and those guys can rush the passer and get after it a little bit. But if your defense hold and, and they don't score, then that's saying a lot. Then you could potentially win that game. So. All right, there you have it. Those are my observations from Week 16. You heard Harry's from Week 16. You can weigh in on any of them at any time. Dr. Pepper, call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We'll switch gears, though, when we come back. Is Warriors-Grizzlies becoming a rivalry? The Young Guns from Memphis got to play on the Christmas Day stage for the first time in a loss on Sunday. We'll get into that game and more coming up next here. Keyshawn, J. Willemax, ESPN Radio and ESPNU. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast.
We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unsportsmanlike today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash unsportsmanlike. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. Keyshawn J. Will and Max, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, and now over on ESPNU, Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas. Kicking it with you on this day after Christmas. Hope you and yours had a very fun and healthy, happy holiday. The Warriors took on the Memphis Grizzlies on on Sunday afternoon. They ended up winning that game. And Draymond Green had this to say afterwards about whether Golden State and Memphis is becoming a rivalry. I think the word rivalry is thrown around too loosely these days. Um, rivalry is Lakers-Celtics. Uh, rivalry is us and the Cavs through those 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19 years. Uh, those are rivalries. Uh, that's a great young team that are, has a very promising future. Uh, but they haven't won enough yet to say it's a rivalry. And that's no shot at them. It's just in order to be a rivalry, you got to start hanging banners. All right, so the Dubs win 123-109, courtesy of a 40-point third quarter. Let's bring in our friend Kendrick Perkins, ESPN NBA analyst, joining us on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. You heard the sound there from Draymond. Do you agree with him that this is not quite at rivalry status yet, Perk? Hell yeah, I agree with him. Although, look, we understand they, they, talk, they both talk a lot of noise. We understand that they hate each other. I get all that, but... Draymond's right. It's not a rivalry. The Grizzlies have to win. 
Like, they have to win, and they have to win at an extremely high level. And to be honest with you, Golden State have so much separation from the Memphis Grizzlies is ridiculous when it comes down to, one, accolades. Two, I just don't – last night proved to me that it's levels to this now. I get it. I don't have Golden State pick to win the championship, but it's a certain mentality that you got to have when dealing with uh, – when you're talking about robberies and, and competing at a championship level. And although John Morant has that, I feel like that the Memphis Grizzlies don't have that – as a whole, as a team, yet. Yeah, Perk, for me, looking at this game last night, I thought it was the perfect opportunity for the Memphis Grizzlies to make a statement, especially without Steph Curry, without an Andrew Wiggins. But for me, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, and, and Jaron Jackson had this issue within the playoffs last year, being in foul trouble and not being out there on the floor to help his team. Per, what are some of the things that you're seeing from him, especially when he plays against the Golden State Warriors that's keeping him off of the floor and in foul trouble? Well, I think it's a mentality. And I, I think it's, it's no coincidence that every single time he go against Draymond Green, psychologically, he's not there. Like, he's not there. I mean, it's stupid fouls. And he's actually fouling. Like, you know, it's almost like Draymond is snatching his soul before this game even starts. And he's not the best version of himself. He wasn't that last night. Now, uh, uh, Jared Jackson Jr., he's been playing great basketball up to last night. And that's what I... That's what I meant when I said there's levels to this. And it's not just if you could score the basketball because Draymond Green, I believe, probably had two points, if that, maybe four last night or something around that nature. But it's his impact on the game. It's his spirit. It's his tenacity. And that's the thing that we've been looking for when it comes down to Jared Jackson Jr. Do we have that it factor? Like, do we have that, oh, that he's going to be an anchor to a defense when they go small and can't play Steven Adams. And that's where he gets in trouble at. When it comes down to Dylan Brooks, I mean, Dylan Brooks really have been non-existent for the last two years. Like, he's been horrible. All I've been seeing him do is bump his gums a lot, but he has not risen to the occasion. He was horrible last year in the postseason. And last night, Lord, that was a disaster. ESPN NBA analyst Kendrick Perkins joins Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Let's talk about somebody who was not horrible in the postseason last year, and that's Jason Tatum. He dropped 41 yesterday, leading Boston past the Milwaukee Bucks. And this is a Boston team, Perk, that had been, I don't want to use the word slumping, but they'd been slipping the last couple weeks, uh, losing la- their, before this game, losing five of their last six. What's been the key for them, or what did you see from last night for them to get back on track and turn this Christmas Day blowout Christmas Day game into a blowout because this is exactly what the type of matchup many of us are expecting to see in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Well, I will say this. When it comes down to the Celtics, they have the deepest roster in basketball. You know, I said it once and I said it again. And they're, they're, they are their worst enemy. When they play selfish basketball offensively, when they play uh, agenda basketball, not agenda-free basketball, but when they play agenda basketball and try to get theirs, then they struggle. 
But when they play together as a team, when they get deflections, when they push the pace, when those wings, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, are getting out in transition, Marcus Smart pushing the tempo, they are a dangerous team. Matter of fact, they're the most dangerous team. So the Celtics, you know, I think it's more so with them. It's about staying the course, not getting bored with the process, not getting bored with the whole entire 82-game season. Now, you're going to lose games, but I think sometimes they tend to lack focus. And the only concern that I have with them is that I still have to see more out of Joe Mazzulli. I mean, I need to see him when it matters the most, be able to make in-game adjustments, be able to make adjustments in a seven-game series. Other than that, when you talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, best duo in the league, but the complimentary players that they have around them um, are the best in the NBA. Parker, last one we got for you. When you look at the NBA right now, who is your one team that you would say is flying under the radar and can make some noise come playoff time? It's the team that's sitting number one in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets. They don't get talked about enough. Like, we don't talk about them enough. Like, we don't talk about Jokic's greatness enough. We don't talk about the role players that they have around him. And I'm not talking about Jamal Murray uh, and um, uh, Michael Porter Jr. I don't consider those guys role players. But when you look at guys like Aaron Gordon and Caldwell Pope and, uh, you know, Bruce Brown and Jeff Green when he's available, like – those guys, those guys are really, really good. They're well coached um, on both ends of the floor, and and you know what? Like we we keep overlooking Jokic. Like we keep putting all these other guys in the league ahead of him for us being the best player. But he is the two-time MVP, and right now he's the front-running MVP because it's his to lose. The man is averaging 25, 11, and 9. He, I mean, the Will Chamberlain numbers that he's putting up, and I, I mean, forget jumping, he can't even do a calf race. And he's doing this type of stuff. <laughs> Big Perk, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it as always. <laughs> That's Kendrick Perkins, ESPN NBA analyst, joining Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas, providing all the laughs here this morning on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. Coming up next, why has Baker Mayfield been able to adapt so quickly and see so much early success with the Los Angeles Rams? Harry and I get into that next, but first, I've got this from Dr. Pepper. The most wonderful time of year continues to roll along college football season. Dr. Pepper and the residents of Fanville invite you to revel in another one-of-a-kind year of flexing your foam finger humming your school's fight song in your sleep and thriving on a steady diet of buffalo chicken dip and post-game day commentary all while washed down with a rich, delicious Dr. Pepper, of course. Another Saturday is always just around the corner, so make sure your tailgate doesn't turn into a failgate and pick up a case of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. 
Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Monday, happy day after Christmas. It is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and ESPNU, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. The guys are off today, so you've got Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas holding it down here on ESPN Radio. So Baker Mayfield and the Rams, Harry, put up 51 points on the Denver Broncos in a win for the Rams. It was their fifth of the season, a season that has not gone according to plan for a multitude of reasons, albeit injury, personnel changes, in and out of the lineup, so on and so forth. But I've been meaning to ask you this question for a while because I knew we were going to be hosting during the holidays together because my team that I cover in Chicago, the Bears for ESPN's NFL Nation, They made a trade at the deadline where they brought in Chase Claypool, wide receiver from Pittsburgh, in exchange for a high second round pick. That'll be their second round pick and very well might be the first or second pick of the draft in the second round. And Claypool was supposed to be considered somebody who could help Justin Fields take the next step in his career as a passer, taking steps, not, you know, not going from point A to point F, but maybe point A to B, steps. And we truly have not seen that in Chicago. And some of it has to do with injuries. He's been out for a couple games. But before then, he had maybe a three, four game sample size where just felt like he was not part of the game plan at all. And when that's been happening, I've been getting the same question. Well, how can Baker Mayfield waltz right in 48 hours before the Rams take on the Las Vegas Raiders on Thursday night football and lead his team to a win in that game? And then the subsequent games, there was the loss the following week, but then they just put up 51 points on the uh, on the Denver Broncos yesterday. So in three games with the Rams, two starts, 54 total QBR, 69% completion percentage, four passing touchdowns, and one interception. So I want you to explain to people how this whole thing works and the notion of plug and play and the, you know, obviously the positions are different. A wide receiver in a complex scheme versus a quarterback who has had some experience in a system like this. But from 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 the way that I explained it, how does it make sense to you? Well, you got to understand, number one, that everybody learns differently. Um, and the way Baker Mayfield 
learns might not be the same way that Chase Claypool learns. And you also got to remember, Baker Mayfield's a quarterback. Baker Mayfield's a quarterback, not, you know, trying to diminish anybody or say any nonsense, but... He's a quarterback that has already, number one, kind of been been into a similar system with the Cleveland Browns and Kevin Stefanski. We got to remember, Kevin Stefanski did coach under Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak was the backup quarterback for the Denver Broncos when Mike Shanahan was the head coach behind John Elway. Gary Kubiak also was the head coach for the Houston Texans and his uh, Kyle Shanahan, who's now the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, was his offensive offensive coordinator. I say all that to say this. Kevin Stefanski got some of his system from the Shanahan tree. Mm -hmm. And Baker Mayfield was drafted to Cleveland. That way, so when he gets traded, when he ends up with the Los Angeles Rams and he's in Sean McVay's offense, which is also from the Shanahan tree, it's not much of a learning curve to him. You know what I mean? It's it's familiar language. Is everything going to be on the tee in the exact same? No. It's not going to be. Versus a Chase Claypool who's now coming from Pittsburgh in a Matt Canada offense that is not similar to what he's running now in Chicago. And and I've always said this, and I asked a lot of different guys who's played in the Shanahan system with a lot of different coaches or whatnot. And usually it takes that second year within that offense for the offense to really, you know, push forward. So now you're asking one player and, you know, Chase Claypool to come in on the dime and just, you know, learn the entire playbook. I don't think that's going to happen. You got to pick and choose what you want him to learn and what you're doing that week game plan wise and be very specific on what you want him to do and what you want him to be in on. Because I do believe you look at, you know, when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons that first year, you know, the offense had some rough patches that second year, Matt Ryan wins MVP. They go to the Super Bowl or whatnot. You look at Kyle Shanahan when he's with Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco and things that first year didn't go right. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo may have came the following year in 17 because I remember playing him and Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play until the last, like, I think four games. And we went out there when I was with the Tennessee Titans and they beat and they beat us as well. You look at Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers that first year, they went 13 and three. But remember, it was some rough patches within that offense now. And Aaron Rodgers had to get some used to certain play callings and, and the ins and outs of things. So you had some rough patches and the last one I would say, you look at Arthur Smith with the Tennessee, um, with the, excuse me, with the Atlanta Falcons. Now, last year, you know, trying to put things together offensively. Now things are coming in year two, coming coming a little bit better. The run game is efficient, top five in the National Football League. You know what I'm saying? So it just normally takes that offense two years to really get going. So to ask a player like Chase, play, uh, Chase Claypool to just come in and just learn that entire playbook in that short period of uh, time, I don't think it's actually fair to him. Okay. It it just begs the question because I know this is not an apples to oranges conversation. Like quarterback having to learn an offense is different than a wide receiver having to learn an offense. But to the average fan who's going to look at that and say, well, the quarterback is responsible for 10 other guys on offense. Uh, Wide receiver just needs to learn the route tree. And, you know, Chase Claypool has 12 catches on 21 targets for 111 yards, no touchdowns. Like, Help! I just, I just help me kind of like level this playing field here. Like, why Baker Mayfield? When how? It's not just going through your reads. It's knowing what all ten other guys on offense are supposed to do, and maybe he's able to kind of fake it till he has to make it, Harry. But it just feels like 
I understand the frustration of some fans here, and I know we've got to hit the break here, but I understand some frustrations from no, fans but, but saying, Baker's hey, already, Chase Claypool Baker's should be picking this up system. already. No, but Baker's already been in that system, though, with Kevin Stefanski with the, um, in, the, in the Cleveland Browns. So he's already had the language and, you know, know what guys may be. Now, they may call it something different with the Rams, but he's already had that, you know, that base point of that offense within his mind already. Makes sense. You're my favorite NFL wide receiver, former NFL wide receiver. So I wanted to ask you because I knew that you'd have the right answer here and help me kind of solve this in my brain. I'm but telling Keyshawn you said that. Yeah, please do. Please do. Uh, coming up next, we're going <laughs> to ask a former NFL coach here on Keyshawn J. Will and Max. Who is better, the Eagles or the Cowboys? You're listening to Keyshawn J. Will and Max. None of the guys are here, but Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas are. We'll keep having fun this Monday morning coming up next. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn J. Will and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com.